Hello and welcome to the Interactive Investor Podcast, where we discuss matters of investment interest. I'm Richard Hunter, Head of Markets, and in this episode, I'm delighted to be joined by Hugh Greaves, Fund Manager of the Premier Mighton US Opportunities Fund. Hugh joined the group in January 2013. Prior to this, he worked for Herald Investment, where he was responsible for managing the Herald Worldwide Fund. From 2000 to 2008, he co-managed the technology fund at Société Générale Asset Management with Alan Torrey and managed the funds from 2008 to 2009. Prior to that, Hugh worked from 1995 to 2000 in the US Smaller Companies team at Gartwall. Hugh graduated from Bristol University with a degree in economics and is a CFA charter holder. So firstly, a very warm welcome to you, Hugh, and thank you for spending some of your time with us. Thank you very much, Richard. Pleasure to be here. So in terms of the Premier Mighton US Opportunities Fund, could you first of all sort of talk us through the objectives and investment style? The objective of the fund obviously is, is capital appreciation for unit holders. The ambition of the fund is to you know, outperform the peer group over, over cycles. And not only to do that, but to do it in a way that gives uh, investors a, a smooth ride, if you like. You know, back in you know, 2013, when uh, we launched this fund, we were very much given a blank sheet of paper to go out and, and design a fund that we felt would give investors the best experience of, of investing in the US. And, you know, in the back of our mind, we were thinking back to, um, you know, th this is a sector in which historically, you know, funds have done very well for a certain period of time. You know, probably sell a lot of units, get a lot of clients. But then something changes in the market, and there's usually some factor that's driven that strong performance that then turns around, and these funds then underperform for a significant period of time, which obviously is, is not great for clients. What we very much wanted to deliver was a fund that could steadily compound over time. Uh, it might not shoot the lights out in one particular year, but then wouldn't do terribly in another year. And some funds are hares and some funds are tortoises. And you know, we stick our hand up and say, you know, we're, we're proud to be a tortoise. And that's the ambition of the fund is to steadily grind out performance over time. So with that in mind, um, what, what's the sort of sector allocation of the fund look like? So we don't just concentrate in the very largest companies or exclusively in, in, the, in the very smallest companies. We have the freedom to invest throughout the market cap spectrum, depending on, on where we find the best ideas. And, you know, there are times when large caps do very, very well and we can skew the portfolio more towards large caps. And then there are times like like maybe now when small caps look more interesting and we can skew the fund more towards that. So we can very much move up and down the cap spectrum. Now, certainly over the past couple of years, pretty much every year since we've launched the fund, the market has favoured large caps, which has, which has, to be honest, been a bit of a headwind for us because as a multi-cap fund, we will always have more mid and small caps than, say, the S&P 500 or, or most of our peer group. But, you know, despite having that headwind, uh, we've still delivered great outcomes for clients. We've still outperformed most of our peer group in the S&P 500. So, you know, hopefully now a lot of those headwinds, I'm sure we'll talk about later, but are starting to turn around and, and become tailwinds for the fund. And in terms of your top holdings, if you could just talk us through perhaps one or two of those. Sure. Things that, that clients, uh, the, the prospective investors will notice looking at our top 10 is it looks very, very different to what you'll find in a tracker fund. And indeed, you know, most of the other North American funds, I mean, almost all the other North American funds, the top stocks are all the same. It's Apple, Microsoft, Google, Facebook, Amazon, in some combination thereof. And, you know, to be fair, those stocks make up 25% of the S&P 500, or sorry, 23%, I think it is now. So which is why those funds all skew. 
and even the, the tracker funds skew that way. But when you look at our top 10, it, it's much more representative of, you know, general American companies. None of them are going to change the world, but they're all probably providing services that you, know, you or I, if we lived in America, couldn't live without. And that's very much what we focus focus on is businesses that can generate lots of cash, steadily increasing over time, that have the ability to raise prices and defend margins, because these are products that, that you can't live without. So, you know, top of the list in the fund, for example, is Fidelity National, which basically it provides plumbing for financial institutions, whether it's within banks or you know, they acquired WorldPay last year, which provides the, um, the connectivity when you put your bank card in the machine to pay for your groceries. You know, every time you put your bank card in and it says world pay on it, Fidelity National make a few pennies on that. So it's a you know, very steady, eddy growth, well, not growthy business, but nothing spectacular, but generates a lot of cash that steadily increases over time. Um, other examples that we've got in the fund that have uh, perhaps done well recently, um, Lowe's, which is a home improvement retailer. Obviously, with, uh, with everyone staying at home at the moment, people are spending lots of money on, on improving their houses rather than going out. Um, and the company's been a big beneficiary of that. I could go on, it's a long list of companies which I find exciting, but I appreciate perhaps other people don't want to hear me drone on about. Another, another example would be Service Corp, which is it's the biggest death care company in the world. They do funerals, cemeteries, and crematoria. They're the largest in, in America. They're 16% of the market, eight times the size of the next number, uh, the number two. One day we're all going to be customers. Um, nothing, nothing like death and tax. Nothing was it. Certainty like death and taxes. And, uh, you know, as, as certainty goes, that business has a lot going for it. So on the basis, you're, you're kind of um, investing off the beaten track, as you say, in terms of the, the traditional US funds that we hear so much about. How's the fund? And I think you've briefly touched on this already, but how's the fund coping, bearing in mind the difficulties that 2020 has been throwing at us? Uh, I think the fund is a fantastic year this year, despite everything. For all the um, the environment that we've had, I mean, the fund, given its design, should not have done well, um, because, as I said, it's obviously overweight mid and small caps. Mid and small caps have done poorly this year. Uh, as a fund, we tend to avoid racier momentum stocks, and obviously those have done very well. But, you know, despite that, you know, the fund's had a good year. Basis for that really is, you know, earlier in the year, we were very cautious with the market hitting all-time highs. Um, and then when coronavirus um, started spreading out of Asia into Europe, uh, we'd already taken plenty of steps to defend the portfolio. Uh, we took a few more. And then by the time the market had fallen, whatever it was, 30, 35% by February, March, we were able to reinvest capital back into the market and buy some companies, shares and companies at some amazingly good prices. Companies that we've been watching for years, hoping to buy, make an investment in, but never been able to because the valuation never quite made sense. But here we were with the market down 35% and we were able to, um, to be very greedy when everyone is fearful, to paraphrase Warren Buffett. Um, and since then, you know, the fund has, has done well as the market has recovered. And certainly in the last few days, as the election's out of the way and, and now we're looking towards, you know, perhaps having a vaccine that is likely to work not just well, but very well. Um, the fund is very well set up to benefit from that. You mentioned that one of the things that had um, previously uh, given you some caution was that markets had been racing towards record highs. Uh, earlier in 2020, we we strangely find ourselves in that boat again uh, in terms of the US. And I mean, that coupled with obviously um, what should be a new president with uh, his own ideas. How, how does that kind of affect your, your current thinking? I mean, in terms of you know, President-elect Biden coming into power in January, I mean, it, it's fascinating because there was some expectation going into the election that the Democrats would have this sort of blue sweep, as it was called, and they would win not 
or retain not just the House, but also win control of the Senate. Well, that hasn't actually happened, and the Republicans look as though they're going to retain the Senate. And with that, they get a lot of blocking power uh, in terms of stopping uh, Biden achieve what they may not agree with, um, and certainly in terms of tax rises and things like that, they look much less likely. The fact that we have this divided government that is less capable of, of doing anything, I should note actually that's historically that's been good for stock markets, but the fact that very little will be able to be achieved, not that Biden was perhaps aiming to be the biggest um, changer of things in the world, but we can put politics to one side and sort of forget about politics for the next couple of years and concentrate instead on, on what's really important, and that's that's the coronavirus and, and the, the economy and making sure the economy continues to heal. In terms of kind of valuations and, and the way different parts of the market re- react to the economic climate, would it be fair to say that perhaps there are some more obvious opportunities for future growth over the next couple of years within the mid and small cap sectors? Absolutely. I mean, this is a fascinating potential turning point in markets at this point in time. You know, for the last, what, 10 years, we've had, if you like, sort of endless amounts of quantitative easing from the Fed. We've had um, lots of bond buying, et cetera. And the net effect of all of that has been to drive interest rates lower and lower for the last 10 years. And the knock-on impact of interest rates going so low and, you know, up until recently, negative real rates in in the US even, has been to boost the valuations of growth stocks in the US. And that kind of reached its peak in July earlier this year when we had all the concerns about coronavirus, et cetera. It now looks as though July might have been the peak for the valuations of many of these stocks, as well as the the trough for, for interest rates. And from here, it looks as though as the economy continues to heal, you will see the yield curve steepen uh, both sides of the Atlantic. Longer term interest rates start to rise as people realize that the economy is in better shape than they thought it was just a few months ago. And the knock on impact of that is to sort of turn the dial back again, which will put pressure on the uh, the valuations of some of these assets classes like large cap tech, uh, like long duration bonds, for example, and instead shift back towards companies that are more economically sensitive that are well-placed to benefit from an improving environment. And you know, historically, the companies that do best coming out of recessions every single time are small and mid-caps. And so the fund you know, is a multi-cap fund um, with a big overweight position uh, in mid and small caps compared to the S&P 500 and, and the competition is really well-placed to benefit from that. In fact, you know, this is the environment for which the fund was designed um, to do well in. Uh, the environment that we've had for the past seven years, although we've done well, um, it's been despite the environment, not because of it. Um, and so what I'm hoping is actually for the next seven years, um, a lot of, as I mentioned before, a lot of these headwinds that we've had and blowing hard in our face um, to suddenly start to, to turn around and become tailwinds. And, and finally, Hugh, I guess it's in terms of the UK, a, a kind of under-researched part of, of the, the, despite the fact it's the largest economy in the world, how do you manage to um, sort of get on the ground and, and find uh, so, so many of these successful companies you've been picking up? Oh, it's a really good question. As you say, I mean, the US is a very efficient market. There are plenty of other people doing exactly the same job as us trying to find great companies. I don't think we stick our hands up and say, we find great companies when nobody else finds them. I don't think any of the companies that we hold in the portfolio 
are controversial. I think most people who know the know the industry or know these companies would, would would agree with us that they're great companies. I think where we make a difference and where we as active fund managers really add value is being able to buy those companies and being patient enough to buy those companies only when we can buy them at a really great price, when we've got a really good margin of safety so that long we don't lose capital. But when we get it right, we get the significant benefit of higher multiples and higher earnings growth. And conversely, also, we have to make sure that, you know, occasionally the markets get over exuberant in certain stocks and valuations go too high. And, you know, it's up to us then to take advantage of that because then we can sell our holdings into the market at prices we regard as excessive and then reallocate that capital back into other ideas that we may find where company valuations are depressed and we can pick up a really great bargain. Fascinating insights. Unfortunately, Hugh, that's all we've got time for. So thanks very much again for your time with us. That's Hugh Grease, Fund Manager of the Premier Might and U.S., opportunities fund and thank you for listening do join us next time for another interactive investor podcast